We're going to continue on, and uh, we only got through three points last week. We'll, Lord willing, get through the rest of the, those points here this week. How to prevent, uh, how to stay pure in a perverted world. And the message for young people and, and for old as well, all of us, that help us to understand some good Bible uh, instruction here. And uh, we're going to look at uh, Proverbs chapter 5 here. My son, attend unto my wisdom and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion and that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life. Her ways are movable that thou canst not know them. You know something, if you just read these verses in the open air, and if you just read these verses to average people today, how mad they would get that you're speaking about a perverse woman here like that at all. It's like a holy grail that you're not supposed to speak against women or say anything about them. Like they can't be rebuked. Like they can't be reproved. You know what? You, you know why? They got a hard heart. That's bitterness is what that is. When you rebuff and you hate that, that's bitterness. You better lay down that bitterness. When that word of God is preached, you better take heed to it. That's what you better do. Don't, don't, if you don't take heed, you'll fall. Brother Dave was talking about that. He started a rap when, when, was it Garrick? No, you were preaching, right? And you told that, those black guys, they better read and take heed. God on his arm. Dave was rapping. Don't, he, he goes, you better take heed. And then. Said, yeah. That's right. And he's like, you gotta heat it. And then we just started to. He had the flow. He did. It was great. He does. It says her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life. Her ways are movable that thou canst not know them. The Bible says that her ways are movable. Right? Dangerous. Dangerous. Cannot be tracked and traced that well. Her ways are movable. That thou canst not know them. Hear me now, therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house. Lest thou give thine honor unto others, and thy years unto the cruel. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. And thou mourn at the last, when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. Consumed by what? Disease. One of the judgments of sexual immorality is disease. It's rampant in this country, in the world. And say, how have I hated instruction and my heart despised reproof? Better ask yourself if that's you. 
Do I hate instruction? Do I despise reproof? As young people, you better ask yourself. All of us have to, but as young people, ask yourself, do I despise reproof? Do I hate instruction? Do I not want somebody to tell me and direct me and teach me? Do I despise it? Do I think very little of the instruction that I'm given? The hours upon hours of pouring into instruction and truth that's been given to you, do you despise it? Do you think little of it? How I hated instruction and my heart despised reproof. Thought very little of reproof. That's what that means. It doesn't, it doesn't mean to abhor it like it does. Hate means that, and abhor is a, is a deeper uh, level of hate. But despise it, I, I don't, that you don't think much of it. Can you sit in a church service under the preaching of God's word and think very little of the instruction that you're given? That you don't take heed to the scriptures as they're preached to you? It's a very dangerous thing, isn't it? And my heart despised reproof and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to them that instructed me. He, this is a lamentation afterwards, right? Of that I did not take heed to the things that were given to me. I didn't incline my ear to them that instructed me. I think this is a very important verse in verse 14. You liken that to the church of the Lord Jesus, the, the local church that you're in right now. Look what he says. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. Do you know you could sit here in this church and you could be consumed with evil? If you're not careful, if you don't take heed to the scriptures, if you don't take heed like Dave said, right? Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. If you don't take heed to what you hear and you sit here and you, you sit and you think you have it all figured out. And as a young person, I, I can't read your mind. I know that. But God is God does give us the ability to take the scriptures and to judge righteous judgment and to be able to take these scriptures and use them to reprove and rebuke. And I'll tell you one thing, what, what a preacher does know, he does know when he gets pushback. <laughs> he does know when there's pushback there. And a pastor definitely knows that after years of preaching that there could be pushback there. And in youth, when you're young, it's easy to have a heart of rebellion. It's easy to, as a young person, to want to rebel against what you're, what you're being taught and to push back against it. And your rebellion might not be as open as your facial expressions or anything like that, but it's a rebellion of the heart because it's the heart that despises the reproof. And if the heart despises the reproof, the actions will follow. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Right? And have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to, to them that instructed me. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation assembly. Drink waters out of thine own cistern, and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad, and rivers of waters in the streets. Let them be only thine own, and not, a strangers, with, not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind in pleasant row. Let her breast satisfy thee. At all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman 
and embrace the bosom of a stranger? Why would you go to the world to find a mate? Why would you go to the world to find somebody? Why would you go to the world to be satisfied? Why would you take it the world's way and not God's way? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. He shall die without instruction. By the way, that's the judgment upon those that won't hear the truth, won't receive the love of the truth, won't accept it. They can sit in the congregation and be in all evil in the assembly. They cannot hear it. They cannot listen to it. They can ignore it. And then it says here what the end is. He shall die without instruction. You remember, he's talking about the same guy. He's talking about the same guy that was in the church. He's talking about the same guy that was sitting in the assembly, right? That's, that's, that's what he's talking about right there in the assembly. He shall die without instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Father, Lord, please help us as we... Look at this, these last three points here of this chapter, Lord, and we discuss that. We thank you, Lord, for it. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, save the lost, strengthen, uh, revive the backslider, Lord, and help us to walk with you and live for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The next, number four, consider her end. In the strange woman, you better consider what the scriptures say, not what your heart tells you will happen, not what your feelings tell you, not what your lust tells you, but what does God's word tell you will be the end of the strange woman in following her. We'll look at verse 4 and 5. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. So you have to ask yourself, do I believe God's word? Do I believe what God says about that strange woman? Do I believe that if I follow after a strange woman, if I follow after that, that that is the end? Or do I believe that somehow it will end differently? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? It's something that you have to determine in your heart. Do I believe God? Or do I believe what my feelings might tell me or my lust or my passion would tell me? Proverbs chapter 9, or excuse me, verse number 9 through 14. says, Lest thou give thine honor unto others and thy years unto the cruel. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. The way of victory over the strange woman is to ponder her end. You know, if you ponder the end of sin, if you think about that, if you think about the end of sin and where it leads... It'll keep you from following it as a Christian. If you consider where that road goes. If I consider what adultery would do to my life. If I meditate on how adultery would ruin my life. If I meditate on how pornography would defile my mind and ruin my life. If I meditate on those things and I think about those, the end or the judgment of God on sin. Not the pleasures of sin for a season, but the judgment of God on that sin. See, that's the, you think about the wrong thing sometimes. You think about the pleasure of sin for a season, but think about the judgment of God upon that sin and where it goes. And God will use that to keep you from evil. 
You know, Eve considered only that the tree of knowledge of good and evil appeared to be desirable. But she should have considered God's solemn warning of judgment and what would be the end of her action. The wise man conceived the end as well as the beginning because he walks in the light of the scriptures. Noah saw the flood that was 120 years away and acted, didn't he? Hebrews chapter 11, turn there. Christians act by faith. By faith, Noah, verse number seven, by faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is by faith. You know, it's interesting. When we go out and preach, we do the same exact thing. You know that? By faith, you and I go out and preach, and what does it do? It condemns the world. Well, they're condemned already, right? Because they've not believed on the only begotten. But that's what it does, and that's why they're so angry about it. They, they're angry about it. They were angry that Noah acted by faith. But he did act on faith, didn't he? Abraham saw that, that this present world is under God's judgment and that there's a better world. And he lived accordingly. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of, who, of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's what Abraham did by faith, right? He, he did it by faith. He believed God. Moses saw God's approaching judgment on Egypt and his blessing on Israel, and he acted on it. You have to see God's judgment on sin. That's why we warn them of, of the flood, and we warn them of the coming fire. Why? Well, because God's flood happened, and he destroyed the whole world, and he's going to melt the whole world with fervent heat. So we warn them. Yeah, global warming's on the way. Sure is. We believe it too, only it ain't going to be from, from carbon. It's going to be from anything. It's going to be from God. God's going to melt the earth with fervent heat. He's going to melt the elements down. Think about that. How hot is that? I don't know. I just thank God I ain't going to be in it. But that's what it is. Hebrews chapter 11. Look at what Moses did. Verse 25. Choosing rather to suffer afflictions with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Is that you? Would you rather suffer with the, the afflictions with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season? Would you choose affliction over sin? Amen. So that's quite a choice. Well, if you want to walk with God, it ain't much of a choice. <laughs> right? You're going to be afflicted. Because walking with God means I deny my flesh, I take up my cross, and I follow him. And the world is going to hate that, right? The Bible warns us of that. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ 
greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's you and I. That's what we're called to do. You see the end of Egypt. Moses knew the plagues on Egypt and Moses knew what was coming. Moses knew that God was going to destroy Egypt. I mean, they were just, they were being decimated because of Pharaoh's hardness of heart and his sin. He hardened his heart, so God hardened him. He said, oh, you want to be hard? Okay, I'll give you over to your hardness. By the way, if you want to be hard, God will give you over to it. If you want to harden your heart against the truth, God will give you over to it. Boy, you'll be thinking you're right all the way. You'll walk in pride. You'll lift up your head and you'll, you'll shake your fist at the God of heaven and you'll act like you're right all the while you are wrong and stuck in pride and arrogancy. Amen. You can say, well, I know what I'm doing. All my teachers around me, they just haven't figured it out yet. My parents just don't understand. They, just, they haven't figured it out yet. I know, they'd only been on earth serving God longer than you've been alive, but they don't know what they're doing. It's amazing, you hit 18 years old and you, you become smarter than everybody around you. You hit, you hit 20 some years old and you start having children, you figure out you don't know a thing. You go back and ask mom and dad, what in the world am I doing? What in the world am I supposed to do? If you've got godly parents, that is, right? You go back and ask mom. It's amazing how much intelligence your parents gain when you hit your 25, 30 years old, right? Man, they're kind of smart. In three years, mom and dad got real smart. Man, right? Go back and think, man. Thought you knew what you were doing, right? Not so much, huh? See, Hollywood's the same way. It, it paints a picture of immorality as, as, as there being some virtue in immorality. Sin is glamorous. Sin is accepted. Sin is, sin is loved. Sin is ch it, just the pleasures of sin are uplifted, right? They make movies and they, they glamorize sin. They glamorize evil and wickedness. They glamorize the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. They sell it to you as if they're, you know, th this is great and you're going you're gonna to enjoy life like that. They, they develop characters and they develop plots uh, to, for sin to be acceptable, Right? to justify their wicked actions, to justify sin. They'll paint you a moral story of why, why that woman had to have abortion and why she, oh, she really felt bad about it, but she really had to put her baby to death. You don't understand how hard her life was. Like some lady saw the sign the other day and told us to shut up and she was screaming at us and she was hollering at us and she was telling us to shut up and got in Garrick's face and was going to beat him up and she got right up into Garrick's face, man, right underneath his nose, man. She was right there. I mean, she was, she was like a finger between them. She got that close in his face, and she was telling him that, you don't understand what I've been through. He goes, that's why we're out here, to preach the gospel so people don't kill their babies. That's why we're here. We're here because we know people have been through stuff, right? We know they have been. That's why we're here. But they, they want you to leave them alone in their sin, and you've got to feel sorry for them. Now, we have compassion on them, yes, but we have to tell them the truth that murder is murder and killing your baby is not okay. Murdering your baby because you have a rough life is not okay. It's very selfish. Amen. Murdering your children is not okay. 
It's not, it's not okay to do that. It's not okay to kill your, your baby. Ever. It's not okay to do that. Where's your compassion for the baby? Where's your compassion for the child? They're the unborn that have no voice. So when we give them one and their blood cries out from the earth and we give them a voice and we preach and we tell them the truth, what happens? They get angry and they hate. But we tell them how they can be forgiven of that. That God's able to forgive them for anything they've ever done. We didn't preach a gospel without forgiveness. We preached a gospel that you could be forgiven. But you can't walk around in pride. But that's what the world does. It, it puts a deception in. Uh, uh, it portrays it in sympathetic tones. Right? So it hides and shades the real, the real dastardly evil wickedness of sin. But the Bible tells us what sin really is. It tells us what the end of sin really is. It tells us what the end of the strange woman really is. Right? It tells us next that the strange woman leads to hell. The Bible warns often about hell. Jesus preached over and over again about hell. You know what preachers don't preach about anymore? Hell. They don't preach about hell. The just judgment of God upon the sinner. That God is righteous. I'm not, I, like I said, I don't, go apolog I don't go out in public and go apologize for God. I don't do, I don't walk in public. My, our men don't go out and preach the gospel and apologize for God sending you to hell when you, because of your sin, that you deserve to go to hell. We don't apologize for God. We don't, we don't make excuses for God. We don't try to defend God's righteousness. We preach God's righteousness. We say that he is righteous to throw us into hell. He is righteous to judge sin because he sent his only begotten son to die for your sins and you spit on him and you stomp on him and you try to do an end road around him to get around the cross and it's wicked because he poured out his wrath upon his only begotten son. And like I said in that sermon many, many years ago when I talked about the wrath of God, therefore know we the terror of the, the Lord for we persuade men. I told people, I don't apologize for God when they, when they cry out, God is love, God is love, God is love. That's what they were saying all the way up to that flood. I guarantee you they're saying the same things, right? Because human nature hasn't changed. God is love. There's no flood coming. God is love. And God's drowning the whole world. And they didn't want the love of God. That's what the Bible says. You know that, right? That they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. You get that, right? It's not, God is just and holy and righteous. He doesn't need to be apologized for. You need to preach him. Preach the God of the Bible. Preach the righteousness of God. The justness of God, the holiness of God. Well, I want to preach the love of God. Good, preach the holiness of God. Because all of God's attributes flow from his holiness. You understand that, right? Every single one of them. Because he is first the king of righteousness and then he is the king of peace. You, every single one of the attributes of God 
flow from his holiness. Because he is holy, he is good. Because he is holy, he is love. Because he is holy, he is righteous. Because he is holy, he, is, he has grace. It's all because he's holy. That's, that's why God is, that's why God has, that's why he sent forth Jesus to die on the cross for sinners because he's holy. That's why the wrath of God was poured out upon his own son. He who spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. That needs to be preached, friend. People need to understand that God is righteous and that hell is real. Well, you wouldn't know it by most sermons today. You wouldn't know it by, by most preaching today, would you? Turn to Mark chapter 9. They say, well, you know, you should preach more like Jesus. All right, let's do it. Mark chapter 9. Let's go there. Let's preach like Jesus. Amen. By the way, the Holy Ghost is the author of the entire Bible. So you're preaching Jesus when you're preaching anything, right? Like, like one man said, if you don't know what to preach, just grab a text and run to the cross. Amen. It'll work. <laughs> It'll work. You say, I, if I get up and preach in front of men out there on the street, I don't know what to preach. Grab a text and run to the cross. That's what you do. Amen. Nothing wrong with that. It's all about Jesus. The whole book is. He said that, didn't he? From Genesis to Revelation, all about Christ, all pictures Christ, and then completely revealed in the New Testament. Amen. It's a wonderful book. You ought to get into it and read it. It's one of the best we tell people out there. Read your Bibles. I got that from Brother Paul, and I kept saying that to him. Right? Read your Bibles. If you don't have one, we'll give you one. Read it. Read it. It's just like Aaron told those those people out there following that woman preacher, read your Bible. Show me in the Bible. Where is it? Scary thing, right? To walk around and believe something that you can't even find in God's word. It's a dangerous thing, isn't it? You got people believing stuff that's not even in God. They got a female preacher and they never once looked at the Bible and said, well, what does it say about that? Maybe they looked at an NIV or maybe they looked at an ASV or an HIV. I don't know, whichever one, but they looked at one of them. And they got spiritual aids because they can't know the truth. Right? They can't believe the simplest things. If you can't believe those things, how can you believe heavenly things? Amen. Mark chapter 9, let's preach like Jesus did. Look at verse number 43. This is why it takes forever to get through this, right? So we're going to preach like Jesus. Verse 43, and if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. By the way, let me help you with something. He's not talking about the grave. When, you, when your body goes to the grave, it's not on fire. He's talking about the final judgment in the lake of fire. For all, you get that, right? I mean, it's very clear. It's very clear. Verse 43, right? Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. By the way, turn to Isaiah 66, 24, would you please? I wonder what was Jesus preaching, right? Well, he was preaching the Old Testament. That's what he was preaching, wasn't he? And they shall go, verse number 24, Isaiah 66, 24, and they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, for their worms shall not die, 
neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. Yeah. Say, so, yeah, you will. We'll see you. We'll witness against you. It's like Spurgeon's mother told him, son, I don't want to witness against you, but I will. I'll witness against you. I will glorify God and I will witness against you as God casts you into hell. That's a good mother right there, ain't it? That's a loving mother right there, ain't it? Gives me goosebumps. Whew. Right? That's a loving mother right there. Praise God. But look at that, Isaiah 66, 24. There you go. Jesus, but now Jesus explained it to you in Mark 9. Do you see how he explained the Old Testament? Now you understand why when he was with them for that short time, he expounded everything in the script, everything it says, all things. Do you really believe that? Yeah, I do. I do. Look how quick he explained that. Then you go back and you find it. It's like, wow, it's right there in the Bible. That's what Jesus was, what was he preaching? The Old Testament. Well, how come they all got mad at him? Because he was preaching the Bible. He's preaching the scriptures to them. He was preaching the Old Testament scriptures to him, and they got angry at him. Well, how come they didn't know that? They were scribes and Pharisees and masters of the law and everything else. Because they were so far removed from the scriptures when he preached them, they didn't even know what he was saying. That's why they got angry. That's why people get mad. No, it's the way you say it. If you just said it like Jesus, they wouldn't get mad. Wait, they killed him. Maybe we're not saying it enough like Jesus because they ain't killing us yet. Huh? Maybe we're compromising too much. <laughs> I mean, we don't make people mad on purpose just to make them mad. But the point is, is that look what they did to Jesus. He goes on to say, and if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. So the pain of plucking your own eye out would be better than you being cast into hell. You guys sound crazy saying stuff like that. Where'd you get it from? Right there. Right there. That sounds really intense. Why don't you preach like Jesus? I'm trying to. Yeah, he did coin the term. I'm trying to. And you're just as mad as they were. Right? Luke 16. I, I just want to remind you who Jesus is. Because sometimes people forget. So before we go out, I don't even know how far we'll get today. It don't even really matter, does it? As long as God's glorified and we preach the word, that's all. We'll be on this for a month and that'll be okay. It'll be just fine. I, I like this. Why? Because God, see, I don't, like I said, I, I got these notes here from this right here. I use some of these, but I use a lot of extra stuff. That's why it takes like four hours to do one. It takes them like 15 minutes. It takes me like four hours because I just go off because I know the Holy Ghost will cater it to who needs it. And I don't, I don't read things word for word and just stop there. I preach what God leads me to when it comes to those things, right? And it helps, and this will help. Because it reminds you before you go out today, 
what Jesus said. We have to be reminded of that. Because, man, I'll tell you what. Brother Paul said it before, and I, I believe it too. Man, sometimes you listen to these guys, these people, and they, they're complaining. You start to believe them. You're like, man, maybe I am a jerk. I am just one mean dude. I mean, they, Jacob, we're just, we just must be mean. Right? You start believing it. You start playing that back in your head, and it starts to cool you down. And you're like, man, maybe I, maybe I just need to like, be nicer. Back off a little bit. Tone it down a little bit, maybe, right? Maybe, maybe it's just too harsh. Why well, didn't told them to pluck their eye out yet? <laughs> I didn't tell them to cut off their hand. Be better for them to cut their hand off than to enter into hellfire. I will today, though. Amen. Because they want me to preach like Jesus, so I should do that. There's nothing wrong with that request, right? I, I agree with that. Don't you? That's a good request, right? Would you preach like Jesus? Okay. I will. Good. Let's do it. What do you say in Luke 16, 22? And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. We, we look at them and we preach to them. Th by the way, this is the end where the strange woman in that life leads you to hell. That's, say, well, what authority do you have to say that? Proverbs 5 and Luke 16, right here. Because Proverbs 5 tells us their steps take hold on hell. They, they're, they're headed to hell. That strange woman's going to lead you to hell. That life will lead you to hell. If you're saved by grace, God will pull you out of it, yes, but... You better make sure you're saved because if you have a desire to follow something like that, you better check yourself. You better ask God to reveal it unto you. And there ain't nothing wrong with looking at somebody that wants to live in sin that names the name of Jesus and saying, I have some questions about you, friend. Well, that's not very nice. It isn't? I think it is. I think it's very kind, don't you? To look at them and say, son, daughter, friend, neighbor, I'm concerned for you. You name the name of Christ, but you don't depart from iniquity. You want to go follow a whore. I'm concerned for your life. And yeah, God still calls them whores. It's right there in the book. He still calls them strange women. He calls them whores. He calls them a lot of things. And you better not sugarcoat sin to your children. You better look and say, son, if you end up with that whore, you're going to ruin your life. You do them a great service by telling them the truth. If you end up with that man that wants, that's a gigolo that wants to use you for your body and dump you, you're going to destroy your life. He's going to steal your purity and leave you. Amen. Yeah, warn them. Warn them sharply. Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Right? That's right. That's true. Amen. Yep. Warn them. And maybe God will call somebody that has the heart of a strange woman to salvation by you warning them. Amen. Verse number 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. 
The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And said Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So you tell them, hell is in torment. You're tor they're tormented. You think they know what that word means? Explain it to them. Tormented in this flame. Hell is a place of torments. It's not a joke. It's very serious. Jesus preached it very plainly, didn't he? He didn't leave them questioning. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Boy, that's good, ain't it? Because what is that? That's the law schoolmaster to bring men to Christ. They have Moses and the prophets. How's a man get saved? By you, you explaining, the, by the grace of God, number one, but by, the, by you preaching the gospel to them and you preaching the law to them first, a schoolmaster. That's why the Bible, when Paul says to the Galatian Christians, he says the law was our schoolmaster. That is theologically absolutely 100% correct. Amen. To the Galatians that were saved. That's right. To the lost, the law is their schoolmaster. That's theologically correct to say that. Because Paul is speaking to the Galatian church. When he's telling those saved people, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. That's what God uses and used in us to bring us to Christ. That's why we preach it. Jesus preached. He said, you're going to hell. That's what he said. Don't, you can't tell people they're going to hell. I'll never forget that being in Atlanta. He tell people they're going to hell. Yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> I do remember. But that's what you, you can't tell people that Jesus did. But they don't want you to really preach like Jesus. He said, nay, he, and he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. What did Jesus say? And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, that's what Abraham said, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Whoa. What does that mean? Well, look, it's very plain. You and I know what our marching orders are. If they can't hear the law that they're guilty and dead in trespasses and sins, they won't believe the one that rose from the dead. That's right. You, you see that, right? That's why we can't go out and you say, well, go out and just preach to them that Jesus loves them and has a wonderful plan for their life. That's not the instructions we were given. 
We preach to them the law so they'll sit at the feet of Jesus and learn the gospel because they won't believe it though one rose from the dead. They have to believe the law. They have to believe that they're guilty. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That the law is preached that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. That's why the law is preached. That's why you don't go out there and tell them God has a wonderful plan for their life. You go out there and tell them that they're guilty. You just got to find another way to do it. Yeah, Jesus didn't say for me to find another way to do it. That's right. he, he said, do it this way. And then Paul said it again. He, Paul said, do it this way. Right. What does Paul cover in Romans? Before he gets to thou shalt... Hey, this is why expository preaching is good and reading a whole book of the Bible. Because what does Paul cover first? Well, Romans chapter 1 through 3, he's continuing on. He's explaining that Gentiles are lost, dead dogs outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are dead without the law. The Jews are dead with the law. And in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, for, and then he gets to Romans 6, and for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He goes all the way through to explain that they're dead, and then he gets to Romans 10, and then he says that thou shalt confess with thy mouth. So what does that mean? Well, do you believe that everything God said in Romans 1 through 9, everything that he said, Romans 1 through 9, about you, do you believe that? Yeah. Guilty as charged, Lord. Well, then if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, what is that confession? Lord, you are right about me. I am lost and dead in sins, and I need Jesus to save my soul. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's God's promise for whosoever. Amen. So you have to understand that, that, there's, that that's, what, that's what he is saying here. And that's what Jesus, there's, the message is not different. It's the same. It's the same. The law is preached and it slays us. It shows us our guilt. And it shows us the right, then, it, then, it, then faith, by faith the Holy Ghost reveals unto us, well, Jesus died for you. And he rose again from the dead. And he was buried and he rose again from the dead for your justification so you could be saved. For without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's simple, right? But that's why we preach what we do. Right? That's why. And Jesus preached on hell. Hell is the place where unsaved men will experience the wrath of God forever. On fornication, uncleanness, filthiness, and whoremongering, they bring the wrath of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. This is where the strange woman leads. This is where those sins lead. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 3 through 6. 
but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting which are not conven convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Well, who are the children of disobedience? They're the lost. We talked about those in Ephesians chapter 2, didn't we? Ephesians 2 through 1 through um, 3. They're listed there in our series. We've been talking about that. The category, this category of sin is the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. All of that is, all sexual sin is covered. Why is that? Because everything outside of the bonds of marriage is sin. Every, everyone, everything. In Proverbs 5, 4 through 5, hell is likened to the bitterness of wormwood and the pain of a sharp sword. It is far worse because the pain of hell has no end. The only way to stop one's steps from descending to hell is genuine repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. For the grace of Almighty God. That's the only way. It is God's grace that changes a man and makes him new. Praise the Lord for grace. Amen. It's God. We're talking about that, aren't we? On, on Wednesday nights in our series, we're talking about, but God, who is rich in mercy with his great love wherewith he loved us. That's God changed everything, didn't he? But God, he changed everything. You were children of disobedience, children of wrath, but God. He's the, cha he's the, he's the agent of change there, but God. Amen. That's why I stand here before you today, but God who is rich in mercy with his great love wherewith he loved us. That's, that's the difference. God, God makes the difference. He's it. Amen. He's all. The strange woman leads to dishonor. If you look at Proverbs chapter 5 and verse number 9 back in our text here. Verse number 9. Lest thou give thine honor unto others and thy years unto the cruel. You have to consider David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, and how that his honor is stained to this very day by his immorality. It was very public that he took another man's wife. Consider Samson, how his relationship with Delilah brought upon him great dishonor. Here's Samson, the strongest man of the world. Yea, Many, many strong men, right? Many mighty, mighty men were wounded, right? Many strong men were wounded by her. Think of many preachers who have committed adultery during uh, their ministry or, or have been, have fell through that. We, we hear about it all the time. It's something that you have to pray for your pastor. You have to pray for your you have to pray for people. You have to pray for each other. But you pray for your past. You should pray for me. I pray it all the time for God to keep me from evil. And you, I, don't think, I don't think less of that either, by the way. And I don't care if you think less of it. You better pray for me. Amen. I don't think, I, I don't, I don't, I, I, feel, I understand what flesh is. I understand how weak the flesh is how you can fall, how you can get into sin, how you can destroy your lives. 
if that concerns me enough to pray for it, why doesn't it concern you enough to pray for it and pray against it for your own selves? Amen. Oh, I don't think I could ever. Don't say that. Don't you say that. Don't you even think that. Oh, I don't think I'm ever capable of doing something like, really? I'm sure the sweet psalmist of Israel didn't think that. You think David thought that he was really ever going to do something like that? I mean, he was called the man after God's own heart. I, but you don't sit around and fear it in that sense. You pray against it. You pray against it. And you pray for others. That's what you do. You don't fear it in the sense of sit around in petrified fear. You as a wife shouldn't sit in petrified fear over it. You ought to be praying for your husband. You ought to spend time in prayer and make sure you're doing all you can do. Amen. Because that's important, isn't it? Next, the strange woman leads to the loss of wealth. Samson lost everything to immorality. In verse number 10, let strangers be filled with thy wealth and thy labors be in, in the house of a stranger. One man writes about a couple pastors that fell into pornography. He said, both of the guys I'm dealing with right now, here's what they've lost. They've lost their marriages. They've lost their job. They lost a lot of friends in the sense, and it, it'll never be the same. They lost custody of their children. Now they are both doing something that they don't really want to do or feel called to do, and they're just trying to get by. Yep. See, that's real stuff there. That's real. Those are real warnings there. To take heed lest you fall. It's important. The strange woman leads to a loss of health. Look at Proverbs 5.11. And thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. You know, God has loosed special diseases into the realm of immorality. God, those venereal diseases that a person would never catch if they're faithful to their wife. Right? They're not going to catch those. Why? They're not sleeping around. But those diseases are real. God, you believe that, don't you? Like, you believe that God allowed that to happen as a judgment on sexual immorality, right? Like, you, like you believe that sodomites, what's the average age they live? Is it 50? Is it even 50? I can't remember, but it's, well, what's that? Like 40 or 50, something like that? They don't live out half their days? Sometimes you find old ones, but... A lot of them die. Why? There's a judgment on sexual sin. There's a judgment on perversion. It is a death style. That's right. There's also often loss of health through drunkenness and drug abuse that accompanies immoral living. Think of all these rock stars and movie stars and all these other people that the world lifts up, how they die of of. of alcohol and drug abuse and fornication, everything else, they die of diseases. These 
You see these people, you see them die of uh, being alcoholics, drunks. They die of drug overdose. Every these rich people, they, they, they die of these drug overdoses. What is that? That's the judgment of God. That's the wages of sin that's death. And those venereal diseases are no different. They're real and they're still there. And you ain't going to get vaccinated against them either. They happen. And God put that judgment upon sexual sin. I believe David. I, I personally believe David may have had that. He talked about his burning in his loins and the different things. Like I believe it's possible David. God could have gave David one of those. He was very sick after he committed that uh, sin with Bathsheba. He talks about laying on his bed and not being able to get up and being sick and, then, and him hearing people talk about him. He talks about the fire in his loins and the sickness that he had. Now he was sitting on a bed. Many people believe he had gonorrhea or something like that, that he caught a, that God gave him a venereal disease. Hey, why not? It's not a game. It's not a game to play with God. It's not a game to play with sin. You're not going to win. You can't beat God. If you live in sin, you're not going to win. It's going to destroy your life. It's what it does. I talked about death yesterday out there when I preached to those people. I talked to them about death. Boy, Brother Paul said that really hit a nerve. It did. They didn't like it. What's wrong with you? Why do you keep talking about it? Oh, there ain't nothing wrong with me. There's something wrong with you that you need to be worried about because we're all going to die. We're all going to face death. And you better have a sober assessment of your life and your death. I tried to get them to think about the day of their death, for them to meditate on the day of their death. They didn't like that. They didn't want to. They need to. Right? Yeah, you're scaring the children. You're talking about death. Children die too. None of you children are promised to live an old, to be an old man like my father. You know, he's 80 years old. You're not promised to live to your 80. You're not. You could die. Amen. But if you died with Christ, you won't be sad. You'll live with him for all of eternity. Amen. But the strange woman leads to a loss. Of, by the way, those careless relationships and those one-night stands and all those things, they lead to disease and death. Pornography diseases the mind. Fills it with evil. The strange woman leads to remorse. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 12. And say, how have I hated instruction in my heart, despised reproof, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. Those who follow the strange woman are temporarily blinded by lust. They wake up one day to find that they have lost much. You know many people, do that? someday they will wake up. And when they do, it'll be too late. Not too late to repent, but they can't get back what they gave away. 
because they would not listen to the voice of wisdom. That's why it's important to instruct children now. That's why it's important for you children to be instructed now on this so you don't go astray, to warn you now not to go astray, to warn you now not to give yourselves over to that. Amen. They hated instruction and despised reproof and obeyed not the voice of their teachers, but they can't go back. What is done is done and it cannot be undone. We have to understand that remorse is not the same as repentance unto salvation, by the way. It's not the same. Paul contrasted the two things. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're definitely not going to finish. But we'll finish with this point. We won't finish with the other two, but that's okay. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. There are many people that they remorse unto death. They kill themselves. I talked about suicide yesterday and they were laughing. Those people were laughing out there. They were mocking it and laughing. I was like, you know, suicide is, is like an epidemic right now. It's doubled. Doubled over years before. Or tripled. I don't know. It, a lot. Those, are just, those aren't independent Baptist statistics. Those are World Health Organization and other people, statistics of people just killing themselves. He mentioned the sorrow of the world as opposed to godly sorrow that worketh repentance to salvation. The sorrow of the world is to be sorry for the consequences of sin, but it's not to be sorry toward God in the sense of repenting, of breaking his laws and being ready to change direction in life and submit to him. See, when we repent and we have godly sorrow that worketh repentance, we, we ask God to forgive us. We turn to him. We don't turn into ourselves. We turn to him. That's godly sorrow that worketh repentance not to be repented of. The sorrow of the world is centered upon this world, whereas repentance is centered upon God. While working uh, in a jail ministry, one person said, for a few years I met many men who had the sorrow of the world. They were sorry that their actions had gotten them into a lot of trouble and had brought dishonor upon them and had hurt their loved ones, but they were not repentant towards God and were not ready to be saved. They were sorry they got caught. They were sorry things happened. They were sorry that they had to suffer. Go back and listen to a sermon I preached called Judas Repentance. Repentance to be repented of. It's called Judas Repentance. He sorrowed unto himself and he killed himself. Why? Because he sorrowed unto himself. He didn't sorrow unto God. He had Jesus right there. Who sorrowed unto God, though, in that, in that picture? Peter. Peter. Peter denied the Lord three times. But what did he do? He cried out to Christ when he seen him. He ran for a little while, didn't he? But then Jesus went looking for him, didn't he? Because remember, Peter was saved. He said, thou art Peter. And upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Upon his what? Confession that Christ is Lord. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
So his repentance ended up being, that's why Jesus chastened him when he said to him three times, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Feed my sheep. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Feed my lambs. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said with tears, crying. Where did his tears take him? To Christ. Where did Judas's take him? To a noose. See the difference? See why I don't believe in Christian suicide? That gets me in trouble with a lot of people. I can show you Samson, same thing. What did Samson do? Cry, oh God. What did he cried out to God? Samson cried out to God for what he had done. And he asked God to strengthen him one last time. And what did God do? Answered his prayer. He said, let me die with them. That was his chastening. He was going to die. Samson was not going to walk out of there. He was going to die for his sin. Not and go to hell. No. His flesh was going to be, was going to drop. God had forgiven him and showed him that. His hair grew back. He crawled out to God. He called out to God. What did God do? Answered his prayer. Who did Judas call out to? No one. He repented unto himself. See the difference? One is Judas' repentance to be repented of. The other is repentance toward God. Amen. It's the spirit in our heart that God puts in our heart when we're saved to cry out, Abba, Father. When I went through depression and, and I went through darkness and, and PTSD and all these things that came upon my mind and heart, and it was the most frightening and terrible thing that I've ever experienced in my life. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. But God's spirit inside of me made me search after him. You believe that, don't you? I do. You couldn't convince me of anything else. It was God's spirit that said, get in my book. Get in my word. Find me. I will be found of you. Search for me. You will find me if you search with me with all your heart. I will be found of you. I will be found. I will be found in the dark. I will find you in the dark. Amen. Dropped me straight in that valley of the shadow of death and said, now you're going to trust me. Do you believe me when it's dark? Do you believe me in the light? Do you believe me when it's dark? Do you believe me when every thought in your mind is horrible? When, every, when a thousand or a million thoughts fly through your head and you believe you are down and out and God has forsaken you and there is nothing left, what will you do? Pound on the door of God! Pound on the door of God! That's what I did. I would not, I, I would not stop. Why? Was it because of me, because I'm righteous? No, it's because he is. And he put his spirit inside of me and said, I have sealed you on the day of redemption, and I have not left you. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. I will not leave you in despair. I will pick you up out of it. And if I keep you in it, I will keep you. I will not let you go. I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I will not let you go. You will not be consumed by your enemy. You will not be consumed by your grief. I will hold you up. And he did. And I'm here today to keep preaching to you. 
And that's God's grace. It isn't anything in me. You want your evidences of salvation? Then go through hell on earth with God and believe him no matter what. Because he's there and he's not going to leave you. He's going to stay with you. And he's going to see you through the darkest and most discouraging time of your life. When you think that all is lost and there is nothing left and that God has forsaken you, he has not forsaken you. Those times of spiritual desertion, when you feel that, you go through the same thing that Jesus went through when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But he was still there, wasn't he? But he did forsake him on the cross. But not you. You only feel that way like David did when he went through desertion. Jesus actually went through that. He went through that. Where God turned from him. And, his, and for the first time ever, he did not feel the countenance of his father, of God, on him. Because he was being the covenant substitutionary sacrifice for your sins and my sins and for the sins of the whole world. And that's why I can go out there today and I, by the grace of Almighty God and I can preach to the down and out, the derelict, the suicide, the child molester, anybody that's done any writ, wit, wicked and rotten thing in their entire life when they believe there is no hope and I can preach to them the hope of the ages and I can tell you that no matter what you're going through, there is hope. And it's found at the cross. Amen. I can do that with with full assurance of faith that God will answer those prayers and that God will take care of you, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. When you want to give up, walk away. When you're done, when you feel like God is done with you or you don't think God's going to answer your prayers or you, you're in despair, discouragement, depression, that God is there and he hasn't left you and he won't leave you because, see, Jesus suffered God leaving him for you. That's why he promised, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Amen. That's the promise of God in the dark. I don't know why in the world I got on that, but I guess that's what God wanted me to do, and it's, it's still good. Amen. But that's, I know how, because we're talking about true repentance and God putting that in your heart. That repentance, when you sin or when you're wrong with God, for the, for the lost, if they feel they have a worldly, a Judas repentance... They're sorry they got caught. They're sorry they did something, but not enough to turn to God. But the Christian, when they repent, their repentance comes from God. Repentance is a gift of God. Amen? You repent and you turn to God and you say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done. Please strengthen my heart. Please let me not give in to sorrow and despair. Let me believe you. See, the first place you go, the Christian, the first place they should go when it gets dark is to cry out to their father. Just like your children, when they're afraid in the dark, they look for their dad or mom. As a child of, a go as a child of God, you cry out to God. If you're crying out to man, well, it ain't going to get any better. You need to cry out to God. You can't cry out to man. He can't do anything for you. Only God can. That's why Judas, he didn't turn to God. He turned to himself and he hung himself. He hung himself. That was his, that's Judas' repentance. 
Peter was the complete opposite. When he got cornered, he got right with God. And God chastens his own. True repentance turns to God, and God puts that spirit inside the Christian to call out to him. Amen. So, but I don't always feel like doing that. It doesn't have anything to do with feeling. It has to do with being obedient. One of the things that God does when he does deal with people like that, when he deals with them, he, he does, they feel those things of desertion, that spiritual desertion where God is not shining his the light of his countenance upon them. And they, they go through that and they do, not, they do not feel like God is close to them. But that's an invitation for you to seek God. Not for you to wallow in self-pity, but for you to seek the Lord while he may be found. And to cry out to him and ask God to strengthen you. Because he is your father. If you're a Christian, God is your father. And you should be crying out, Abba, Father. That's what you should do. But this young man, following the strange woman, he was full of remorse, but not repentance, not true repentance. Amen? All right, we're going to stop. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the truth of it. And Lord, I just ask that you'd save lost sinners in the assembly, out of the assembly, online, wherever. Lord, today, when we preach the gospel, Lord, that you'd strengthen your children. Help them to follow you and to live for you and to serve you. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for the ladies here that serve you, that love their husbands, those that serve you and serve uh, the Lord through the church, single ladies, married ladies, all of them, Lord. We thank God for them. Lord, we thank you that they raise our children and the others that are single assist those mothers and help them. And, and all of us, Lord, love one another with a pure heart fervently. Lord, thank you for the men that are willing to go out and preach the gospel, hold a, a banner, hold a sign, and hand out gospel tracts. God, strengthen us, protect us, and keep us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.